Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This message is part four in the series, An Unfulfilled Potential, The Life of King Saul. In this message, Brandon talks about how all too often we make excuses in our lives that ultimately lead us to never fulfilling our potential that God has for us. Okay, so I promise that was not the same shirt that I have on today, okay? (laughs) That one was dark blue with little white pinstripes. So this is a different shirt that I have on. I don't don't wear the same shirt every week. Um, And we want to continue this series today on Saul and... uh, looking at our potential. I want you to think about this. If, if, if we have, God's given us this potential and he has, he's called us for a purpose. He's, he's destined us to do great things for the kingdom of God. But these things that we are talking about sort of put this ceiling over our life where we can never accomplish everything that God's called us to do. Now, if our potential is here and we put this ceiling right here, this false ceiling where uh, maybe our confidence gets in the way or we don't assume responsibility for our life, whatever it may be, and this false ceiling is right here, this gap right here, that's really what we're leaving on the table. Does that make sense? You put this false ceiling right here, here's your potential, you never reach it, and you have left that on the table. It's like bidding a job um, and going to a, and, and bidding it and you're... low on an $80,000 contract. You left $40,000 that could have been in your pocket on the table. And our goal as as Christians, my goal um, as, as a follower of Christ and my goal as a pastor is to see all of us get to a place where we don't leave anything on the table, where we close that gap as much as we can. And so we want to continue looking at this today and beginning to see another way that sometimes we miss our potential, something else that we do where we put a false ceiling in the way of getting to that ultimate potential that God's created us for. Now, I want to tell you today maybe a little bit different. Um, I remember when I was in middle school, high school, around those years, we used to go to football camp down to Jekyll. In those days, I thought Jekyll was like on the threshold of hell because that's how football camp felt. I mean, it was just hard. You know, I thought for sure if we went far enough from Jekyll, we would just fall off into the abyss. But it was hard. And I remember, I mean, it was like three practices a day. It's 110. You're in the sand. You've got sand all in your pads. It was just, it was just nasty. Um, biting gnats, all of these things. And I remember laying there in bed at night, and I don't know, you probably had these times, maybe I've been football camp, but other times when you just wish morning would never come. You know, you're just laying there and you're like, if this could just be the longest night ever, it'd be great. And I remember laying there in the bed, and as I'd be laying there, I'm thinking, I know they're going to come along, because, you know, they never wake you up gently. It's not like your mother coming in and going, honey, it's time to get up and go to go to school. It was always the most abrupt wake up they could possibly cause. And so you're laying there and I would literally wake up during the night and go, how much longer till, you know, and I didn't have a clock, I didn't have a watch. And so I'm laying there going, how much longer until they're going to come and start banging on our door. And so they would come and just bang, 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 bang. And, you know, eventually came, it just woke you up and it seemed like that was always when you finally went to sleep the best. And so they would come and get you out of bed. And for those of us who seem to miss a lot of workouts during the summer, we had to do this thing called dawn patrol. And so it was, it was getting up before daylight, and you had to run a mile down the beach, do exercise, come back down, and uh, then you could go get dressed and shower and everything for practice. And so that was the beginning of your morning. And, I mean, it was just difficult, but I remember that beating on the door, and I remember how much I hated that. I despised those coaches when they would come and wake me up and, and beat on that door that way. And uh, this morning, I hope that this message will be sort of like somebody coming and beating on the door of your heart. Um, it, it, it may be a little harder to swallow, if that makes sense. One thing that was down there at Jekyll 2 was sand spurs, and I know those things can sometimes get in your, get in your foot or get in your hand and it really hurts. And, and if today seems sort of like swallowing one of those, I'm sorry, but I think we have to bring balance to the message of Christ. And I want to encourage you today to open your heart and hear, hear my heart in this and in this message. Um, because today we're going to talk about excuses. And we've all got excuses, man. We've got them, and we've got more of them than we possibly need. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into this, and we're going to begin to look at how excuses rob us of the potential that God's given us, okay? Well, God, we thank you for today and for your love. God, I I thank you for the challenge that it is to be a Christian. I thank you that when you called us, you didn't, say it was going to be easy. You even told us, God, that that we would have trouble. But you said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. 
So God, today I pray that you would speak to our hearts and, and that we would cease to take the easy way out. That we would cease to try to justify our actions as though it's okay to just do whatever we want to do, ignoring the commands that you've given us, the calling that you've placed on our lives. God, I pray that this would be encouraging. That maybe for the first times our eyes would be open to things, God, that are literally robbing us of what you would have us to do and become. God, we love you. We thank you that you love us enough to meet us where we are. And yet you love us too much to just let us drift along any way we want to. Lord, speak to us now. Encourage us by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a lot of you probably have heard me talk about this, but when I was, um, my pre-ministry career was in the roofing industry, and you can imagine not everybody is dying to do roofing work, and so a lot of times we would get, we would get some good folks, but we would get a lot of people, man, who were just looking for, you know, uh, the, the next a uh, couple of weeks worth of pay or whatever. And, and when we were there and, and trying to be in a management position in a roofing business and then finally running my own business, I, I guarantee you I have heard every excuse in the book. And, you know, people had them for everything. I mean, they were just out there too numerous, you know. It was, it was everything... Um, from, you know, why they couldn't do the job, why they ended up leaving the job early to, to all these different things. And the thing that really became refreshing is when somebody would just walk in and you would say, why, why didn't we do this? Why, why did this not happen? Where were you? Why? And they would just, I don't know, I just screwed up. Because you always, everybody always had an excuse. And sometimes in life, isn't it just nice when somebody just goes, I got no reason for it. I just, I just screwed up. I just made a mistake. And it just became a real refreshing thing just to hear people say, I'm just an idiot, you know? I don't know why I did it. I just did. And, you know, and I'm sorry. And, and it became a thing where when you heard people say that, it was a lot easier to swallow than just when they would go, well, I, 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 you know, and they're looking down at the ground. And you can tell they're just trying to come up with something to maybe keep them from getting in trouble. And I think as a society, we are incredible at making excuses for why we don't do what we're supposed to do. And the bad thing is, is that has trickled into our, our Christianity also. We make excuse after excuse after excuse for not doing what God's told us to do. It's very clearly um, things in the Bible that God tells us, do these. I mean, Jesus even said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And yet so many times we just find a way of avoiding what God's already told us to do. You know, there's some things that God doesn't even have to tell us to do while we're praying, you know. There are certain things that God's already said in his word that we ought to be doing, Right? And somehow we just begin to blow that off. We just begin to look beyond that. We try to rationalize it away. And so we've got to get to a place where we begin to do the right thing. It's been such a, a huge part of our makeup since the beginning. I mean, you remember Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, the fruit's there. Eve takes the fruit, she eats it, gives it to Adam, he eats it. When God comes and he comes to the man and says, what have you done? He points to the lady, right? It was her fault, I didn't do it, blame it on her. And guys, we still do that today. Was, Susan, what are you doing? You know, why did you? And we just like to throw the blame to somebody else. We don't like to be the one to man up and just take responsibility for what, something that we should have already done on our own. And the thing that we have to begin to realize is that these excuses are literally robbing our lives. They're robbing our marriages. We make excuses for, for why we don't do things for our wives. How many of us still open the door for our wife when we get in the car? And I guarantee you, when you were dating, you opened that door. And yet somehow, over the years, it's just gotten to be one of these things where the door just kind of, well, she's a big girl. She can open the door for herself. <laughs> you know, I remember the other night, we were, we were going over there, and we were coming, I believe it was out of Longhorn, and uh, Susan said, why don't you open the door for me? And I was like, yeah, and this is, this is me. I'm like, I'm thinking, I didn't say it because I would have got slapped, but I'm thinking, is your arm broke? What's, I mean, you can open that, that this, this, it's this motion right here. That's all it is. But I got really convicted. I was like, why don't I still open the door for her? Do I love her? Yes, I love her. Then why don't I do that for her? And then I had to overcome this thing of pride because I hadn't done it in so long. I had to finally just go, oh, heck, okay. And so I go in the next place we went, I opened the door, but it couldn't be good enough just to go, there you go, honey. I had to go, are you happy now? You know? 
because you can't just do it and be done because you got to try to satisfy your pride. And, and so, so many times our pride and so many things get in the way because we just can't accept being wrong. I have to catch myself on it all the time when we have leadership meetings and things and, and we've done something and man, we thought it was good. And somebody goes, I don't know about that. Like, what do you mean? It gets so defensive, you know, because this is something that, 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 that this is right and this is why we need to do it this way. And so we're really good at making up excuses. We, we see these excuses come in and rob us with our children. How many of you have ever, and see the problem is if you have children and if, if you do this too, and if you don't have children, one day you will, when you're sitting there and you see everything that, your child, that the other children are doing wrong, but you just can't see it in your own child. I mean, we all do that. It's like, I, I'm like, how did they let their kid get away with that? And Dake's over here tearing down the building. And so we all begin to say, and we make excuses for him. Well, you just don't, that's just his personality. No, that's like horns growing out of his head. You know, it's like the devil. Don't, you don't let him, but we just overlook it. We make excuses. We'd rather avoid the conflict with our children than deal with it. And so we just let them do what they want to. I mean, why do you think when they don't get what they want, they start crying? Because they know it works. I mean, you'll do anything just to shut them up. Here. Take it. And then we'll try to rationalize why it's okay that we gave it to him. Well, you know, he really hadn't had a sucker in a long time. Yeah, but he's been crying for five minutes for it, and you're just reinforcing that. And so it's just the same thing over and over again. We're just reinforcing. We're making excuses for why we don't do what we know we ought to do. Because we all know that they shouldn't get that sucker. They shouldn't get that toy. And yet we do it. We make excuses for it. We just over and over and over and over again, we make excuses for why we don't do what we know we should. See, excuses function so that we can escape from God's word what we know is right and justify what we want to do. And they work really good at that, don't they? It's a good rationalization. It's a good way of saying, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I mean, I heard somebody say this this, this week. Think about this. How easy is it, and this is somebody else's, I'm not taking credit for this, but I thought it was a great analogy. How easy is it to talk yourself into dessert and out of exercise. I mean, think about it. That is so easy to do. And you just, I mean, you just, y'all can relate to that one. <laughs> it's so easy to do. I mean, I can tell you, I'll be sitting here at the gym. I mean, at the, I wish I, I do sit at the gym. I sit there a lot when I go in. But <laughs> sitting here at the office and I'm thinking, I need to go to the gym. And boy, I can't seem to muster up the energy to go do that. But that Twix bar in the kitchen, man, that thing looks really good. I think I'll have one of those. And so you go in and you just begin to indulge yourself. You begin to make an excuse for why. And so, you know, I worked out yesterday. I mean, we don't want to do too much of a good thing. So let me just eat the Twix instead of going to the gym. And so we just make excuses for why we don't need to. Oh, I'm still sore from the other day. If I'm still sore, then I probably don't need to do it. We make excuses for why we don't do what we know is right. And it just robs us of all the things that God's called us to, the potential that's there. I want to read to you real quick, 1 Samuel 9, verses 5 through 10, because again, we want to look at the life of Saul. And why did Saul not accomplish the things that he could have accomplished? I mean, after all, God told Saul when he was anointed to be king, he said, listen, Saul, do whatever your hand finds to do because I am with you. Whatever your hand finds to do because I'm with you. And then when you begin to look at Saul's life, he's up, he's down, he's all over the place. He never really accomplishes a whole lot. He ends up falling on his own sword. That's how he ended his life. And so we want to begin to con or continue to look at how Saul spoiled his potential, how he never reached it. It goes in verse 5 in chapter 9, 1 Samuel. It says, when they reached the district of Zuth, Saul said to the servant who was with him, come. Let's go back. My father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. This is Samuel he's talking about. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Saul said to his servants, if we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man. What do we have? The servant answered him again, look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if a man went to require of God, he would say, come, let us go to the seer because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. In verse 10, it says, good, said Saul to his servant. 
Come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. Now listen, they had been sent on a mission. They had, they had been sent to go and get the donkeys that were missing from Saul's father's house. They were going, and as you begin to read about it, Saul is so ready to give up. Saul is the one who's making excuses. He, he, he wants to go back. Listen, they're going to start worrying about us. They're going to quit worrying about the. Let's just go back. And then the guy goes, his servant says, listen, no, why don't we go to the prophets? Let's go to the seer's house. He can tell us. He's talking about Samuel. Let's go see Samuel. He can tell us where these things are. And he's like, oh, but listen, we don't have anything to give him. We don't have anything to give him. Let's just go back. And so then he goes and, and the, the servant says, no, I've got a half a shekel of silver. Let's go give this to him. And so you see, I mean, Saul ought to be the one leading here. And he's the one who's having to be encouraged by his servant. And so he, we start seeing Saul's just making excuse after excuse. And one of the things that excuses do in our lives is excuses cause us to look for a way out instead of a way through. How many of us in our lives, rather than going through a tough time and doing what's right, would rather look for a way out than look for a way to go through it? And so we come to places in our life where we begin to um, rationalize our integrity away. We begin to make excuses to, to get rid of our morality, to do things that we know are wrong, and yet we do them anyway. We just make a decision that I would rather take the easy way out than go through a difficult time. We try to avoid them. Even in church today, how many times, I mean, most books that are on the bestseller list aren't really talking about dealing with the crap of life. It's about seven ways to, to do this or seven ways to increase your happiness or, you know, all of these things. I don't want to call any of them out by name, but there's all these books online or that you can get online. There's all these books and bookstores that you can get that are simply ways to try to gratify what it is that you want to do. And very few people today want to talk about the hard things. Why? Because we're afraid that if we do, you won't come back. We're afraid that if we tell people the truth and that we need to stop making excuses and we need to start living for God and we need to stop rationalizing away the things that aren't right in our life, then we won't come back. But really, if we're just pretending, what's the point of coming back? What's the point of just doing what's been done over and over again? What's the point if, if we're not really bringing people to a place where we truly understand the full gospel and what God's calling us to do and to be? I mean, he did say, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. But we don't hear that preached a whole lot anymore. We don't bring a lot of balance to the gospel anymore. If you hear me preach seven times, probably five of them are going to be, man, God is calling you. God is doing, God, God is good God. But we've got to come back to a place where we have a balanced understanding that God is calling us to live our lives in a certain way. And that hasn't changed. You know, so many times we rationalize how we minister to people. We tell people all the time, you know, well, you know, it's okay, just, just do this. And, and, you know, I've even heard people, and it drives me nuts, but I'll hear people go and they'll sit down in a Bible study with a group of men or something, and they'll start cussing. Just, I've never heard them cuss in their life. And they sit down and they just start cussing because they think that it somehow makes them relevant to these men. And I'm like, why, why are we doing these kind of things? I mean, you know, why, why do we lower our standards to try to reach out? Jesus didn't do that. Listen, Jesus ate with sinners, but he didn't become one. Does that make sense? You get, everybody's looking at me real, like, blank. But he, he ate with them, but he didn't have to lower his standards to reach them. He didn't judge them, but he still didn't lower his standard of living. I mean, he was tempted in every way that we are and yet was without sin. And so we can come to a place where we can raise our standard of living and live in a way that is above the world. Listen, the world, instead of the church going in and changing the world, the world has come into the church and changed us. We should be the ones changing people, not people changing us. And I'm all about culture and being relevant and all this. But listen, it doesn't mean a hill of beans if we're not being an accurate picture of who God is. And so God's calling us to this place of being an accurate picture so that when people look at our lives, they truly see the heart of God. And so we've got to get to this place where we begin to see it. Ben Franklin said this. He said, 
that people who are good at making excuses are seldom good at doing anything else. You can be good at making excuses or you can get up, put on your big boy pants and start doing something in life. It's our choice. Which one are we going to do? Are we going to live behind this wall of excuses? Or are we going to begin to make a difference? See, so many times we start out in something with God and it starts getting difficult and we turn around. We, we begin to get excited about God. We're excited, oh man, God's so good. And then it just kind of begins to wane because we begin to be buffeted by the world, by life, by things that just keep coming against us. And so we begin to kind of want to drift away and go back. Just because it's not easy doesn't mean that God's not in it. If that were the case, we would have quit in February. So we've got to realize that, that even if it gets tough, it doesn't mean that God's not. Life is just tough sometimes. And I can stand up here and tell you it's not going to be. And just take authority over it and do this and do that. Sometimes life stinks. Sometimes things come and happen that just aren't right. A little girl being in the emergency room because her fever spiked so high, she had a seizure, just isn't right. But it still happened. And so we've got to realize that it's not always easy. It's not always easy, but it doesn't mean that God's not in it. It means that God is right there with us and he will help us go through it, not avoid it. But it's so easy for us to avoid the difficult things. It's so easy. I mean, Saul said, listen, come, let's go back. Let's go back. And for far too many of us, that's become our motto. When things start getting hard, let's just go back. When our marriage starts getting hard, uh, let's just go back, you know. Let's, let's just go back to the way we were, you know. We can, everybody's getting a divorce. Let's just get a divorce. We don't really have to do, let's just, you know, let's just go back. Let's just go back to the way we were living. It's just easier. And so many times, we just make that decision that it's just easier to go back than it is to push on. But you know, I believe that God has called this church to take new ground for the kingdom of God. So how are we ever going to take new ground if every time we bump up to an obstacle, we turn around and go the other way? Every time we bump up to something tough, every time we as individuals bump into something difficult, we just say, well, let's just go back. It'll be easier if we just go back. Let's just go back. We know it's safe. We know we can do this. Listen, we are in the most dangerous position we've, we've been in in a year as a church. I don't think that it's any coincidence, and I didn't think about this until during worship today. I don't think it's any coincidence that as we approach our one-year anniversary, God has us learning about the potential that he's placed in us and what will cause us to be robbed of it. Because we sit in a very dangerous position. John Irvin and I have talked about this numerous times where we sit here today and if you look around, we had a lady walk in one day and the mother of a good friend of mine and she said, and she didn't mean this, like she, it was a compliment, but it scared me. I mean, it like literally sent chills down my spine because I, she walks in and she goes, wow, y'all look like a church now. And I know what she meant. She meant, listen, it was, it was a compliment. It was, this really looks great. It looks good. It looks awesome. But it scared the daylights out of me. Because I thought, no, 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 no. We don't need to just look like every other church. If we do that, then we have failed. Because as soon as we begin to do the same things that every other church is doing, then we are going to just be another church. And if you do the same things over and over and over again, you're going to get the same results. And so we've got to be wary. We've got to be praying. We've got to be looking. We've got to be searching. God, how, what is the fingerprint that you want us to leave in Statesboro? What is it you want us to do? How is it that we can begin to reach people who've never been reached? It amazes me how we avoid the commandments that Jesus gave us. I mean, he told us without a shadow of a doubt to serve others. He told us without a shadow of a doubt to go to the least of these, to take care of the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted. And somehow we as Christians have rationalized that away. We have people walk through the doors all the time. I mean, people have found out that, that we're back here. Now, used to, it's like bliss because, you know, you know um, ignorance is bliss or whatever. You know, people never came in. They didn't know we we're here. Now they know we're here. People are coming through the doors left and right. We're, we need, we need, we need. And, and the thing is, we're not, we're not set up to take care of them. Can I get them a meal? Yeah. I'll tell you what, just go down there to Snooky's. 
and just sign Connection Church on the ticket and then we'll take care of it. I can get them a meal. Can we give them a little bit of gas money? Yeah, we can give them some gas money. Can we, uh, can we give them a place to stay? Yeah, we could probably do a night or two. And see, it's not just us that's not set up. There's no church in Statesboro set up for it. And so we come in, we give them a, a $5 bill to go get some gas, which is like a gallon and a half. And then we say, just go on your way. Just go on your way. All right, thank you. God bless you. I will even pray with them. Oh, Jesus, just come on. We have fallen so short. And we're making excuses so that churches today even start these organizations so that when people come through the doors, they can say, sorry, we can't help you, but if you'll go down there to this little place, they can look at, they'll take care of you. You just go down here. I mean, and Don won't mind me saying this, but Don's been in that situation. He's out of work for eight months, needing help. He's been looking everywhere. There's nobody that can help him. The nearest shelter is in Savannah. It's 50 miles from here. They can't get to Savannah on $5 worth of gas, I guarantee you. And yet we just sit here and the churches have ignored it and we made excuses for it. Well, you know, if they want to change, they've got to change themselves. Well, maybe we could have a hand in that. Amen. Maybe we don't need to just sit back fat and lazy. Come on now, this is the truth. We are fat and we are lazy and we have become a fat and lazy church. Have we not? And I'm telling you, and I pray this over and over again, if we can't do something different, then I pray God shuts the doors of this church because I don't want to exist and be another church that looks the same as all 159,000 of them that are already in Bullitt County. If we're not going to reach a different group of people, if, listen, and I don't mean this ugly, but I warned you, if you are too high class to minister to the least of these, this is the wrong church for you. Because we've got to get to a place where we get off of our high horse and we begin to love those who are unlovable. We begin to love those who are different. We went and gave candy to a bunch of children and I'm sitting there looking at them and I'm thinking, what do they go home to at night? Do they have anybody that kisses them on the head and tells them they love them when they go to bed? And yet we come in on Sunday morning and we, oh God, you're so good. We thank you, God. Oh God. And then we go out of here feeling better about ourselves and we don't do a doggone thing about it, about them. And I'm telling you, we need to be praying. We need to be praying, God, how can we? God, how can we? When are we going to become people who will defy the odds? Who will be willing to stand up and say, we'll take those odds on. We'll take those odds on. See, this is our vision. And I haven't talked about this this much. And I'm repenting of this this morning. Because God, what God had put on my heart is that we could reach 2,000 people by the year 2020. And I repent of that because I was almost embarrassed to say it. Because the odds aren't very good, are they? And so I was almost embarrassed to say it, that, that our vision statement is that we would reach 2,000 people by the year 2020 and we'd have 80% of them serving and in small groups. That's almost 10% of the unchurched population in Bullitt County. And if we're going to do that, we're not going to do it by having church as usual. We're not going to do it by just living any way we want to. See, ministry is not a thing of convenience. If we want to be comfortable, then we're going to continue looking the same way we look today. It's a place where we have to get uncomfortable. We were going through the nursing home the other day, and, and Sean's there, and he walks by, and I'm like, hey, man, what do you think, man? And because and the only thing I'm nervous about is getting all like 40 of these kids back to the church, you know? And he's like, man, this is just, I'm out of my comfort zone. Again, I hope he doesn't mind me share this. If he does, it's too late. But he said, man, I am so far out of my comfort zone right now. I'm so far out of my comfort zone. I was like, what? We're just, I thought, you know, some people don't like nursing homes. He's like, no, man. He's like, I love the word and I love to preach it. He said, but when you get in these real places and you start sharing your faith, it's just uncomfortable. But he was doing it. If we just sit in a place of comfort, if we just always stay in a place where we'll never change anything. 
God is calling us to move out. He's calling us to do different things. He's calling us to take a chance. And listen, if we fail, we fail. We'll do something else. But we can't sit here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday just thinking that things somehow are going to change. I mean, we can pray, God, bring them from the north and the south and the east and the west. Just bring them, God. That's great. But maybe God's calling us to go get them. Maybe he's calling us to go to the north and the south and the east and the west and to bring them. But see, it's easier for us to stand here on Sunday morning in our safe little environment with our safe little people and just say, oh God, bring them. And we can raise our voice and we can shout and we can yell, but most likely, now some will, but most likely they're not just gonna drift in. I'm sorry. Because God didn't say just sit in Jerusalem and pray. He says, you'll go to the uttermost parts of the world and you'll begin to bring them in. Go and get them. But we'd rather sit. We'd rather sit on our hands and just feel good about ourselves. I want to read to you 9, 19 through 21. Verse 19 says, I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will let you know, go and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for you, the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your father's family? In other words, Saul, God's heart is turned to you, and he is anointing you to be king. He is calling you, Saul. And listen to Saul's reply. But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? One of the things that kills us as a church is we think we can only do what makes sense. Excuses allow us to do what makes sense in our own lives. If you think about this, what is Saul doing? He's looking at his life and going, God, this doesn't even make sense. Are you serious? Listen, I'm the, I'm the smallest, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Look at me, I'm a nothing. And he's looking at it from the whole worldly viewpoint. But listen, if Ephesians 3.20 is true that God it will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can think or imagine, then don't you think that sometimes we have to do some things that we just don't think make a lot of sense? God calls us to step out. He calls us to do different things. He calls us to move in different ways, to stop making excuses of why things probably wouldn't work and begin to try things. Maybe it won't work. Maybe, maybe it's not gonna work. But we'll kill that and we'll do something else. There's no sacred cow we can't kill. So we begin to do different things. We begin to move in different ways. And we take that little theological card house that we put God in and we blow it down. And we say, God, you do what you want to do. It might not look the same, God. I know we got the chairs lined up and they all face the stage and the band's on the stage and we got the words on the screen. God, you do what you do. You do what you need to do, God. And just tell us, and then and, and we'll go. We'll be like Isaiah and say, God, here am I. Send me. Send me to do what it is you would have me to do. But we've got to get to a place where we begin to do that. First Samuel 13. I want to look at two more scriptures here, and we'll be done. 13, 8 through 12. It says, Saul remained at Gilgal. And all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. All these men are leaving him. They're freaking out because they're about to get attacked by the Philistines. So he said, bring me, to the, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I will have not sought the Lord's favor. So listen, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Excuses allow us to operate based on our feelings and not based on what God has already told us to do. Based on our feelings and not what God has already told us to do. When we, we, in the United States, we are such a society that is driven by our emotions. 
we operate, I guarantee you there is some type of emotion that probably drives your life now. It, it might be anxiety, it might be fear, it might be um, lust, it, but I guarantee you there is some desire in your life that if you aren't careful, there's some emotion in your life that if you aren't careful, it will drive your life. And we need to begin to be people who are allowing God to steer the ship that we're not just allowing our emotions to take us here or there, that aren't just allowing our emotions to move us in a place that God doesn't want us to go. But we come up with all these excuses to rationalize why we don't do what we want to do. I mean, think about Sunday morning. How many times do we lay in bed and we come up with a reason why we don't need to go? How easy is that? Well, they won't miss me if I'm not there. Well, I was up late last night. Well, I just don't feel like going. And we make up all these reasons why we can't be there. We come up with all these excuses of why, well, I don't think I need to be in that connect group. I don't really, man, that's not for me. A bunch of men, they're probably crying all over each other. And we just start making these excuses after excuse after excuse of why we can't do something. And yet it's part of the vision of this ministry and what God's called us to do. It's part of, listen, you don't come to Sunday morning to make me happy. You don't come to Sunday morning to punch a ticket. You come to Sunday morning to celebrate. You come Sunday morning to be sharpened. You come Sunday morning to fellowship. Listen, if our vision statement is to connect unbelievers to God, believers to each other through the equipment of the saints for the work of ministry, how are we going to connect believers to each other if you're not here? It don't work. Maybe she can Facebook, but that really doesn't, doesn't really do it. We need to be here. We need to be in the house of God. It's, it's not something just to do out of habit. It's not just so that we can have attendance. It's because there's a real purpose behind it. So that we come together, we worship God together. We're the body. I mean, the Bible says not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren. He told us to come together and somehow we just rationalize away. Well, you know, I go over here. And just, uh, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you just have to make a choice that I'm going to do what's right going to make a choice to do what God has already told me to do. He's told me to gather with other believers. And so we just put aside our, our own desires and our own issues, and we, we set aside what feels good to do what's best. To do what's best. 1 Samuel 15, 7 through 16. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, to the east of Egypt, he took a god, king of the Melekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared a god and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. And listen, these they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instruction. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument to his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions, but Samuel said, But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. And then Samuel in verse 16 said, stop. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. See, so many times excuses allow us to have an appearance of godliness without changing at the core of who we are. Excuses allow us to come and, and, and we put on this outward shell of this righteousness. And just like Saul, we never really change who we are. Listen, Saul wanted to do just enough to have the favor of God and just enough to appear righteous and religious. But that's all he wanted. And Saul never began to change at the very core of who he was. And he never reached his potential. 
It says in here that they were unwilling to completely destroy the best of everything. And so many times in our lives, we are unwilling to destroy completely the things that separate us from God. See, we always think about idols being these little trinkets or these little things that people set up on a shelf so that they can worship them. But you know, idols can be anything. Idols can be work. Idols can be your children. Idols can be your wife. Idols can be um, your church. Idols can be anything. Idols can be how tight the band is. Idols can be anything in your life that comes before you and God. So that we have to realize that we've got to completely destroy these things. If we want to live in the way that God wants us to live, if we really want to begin to be a church that changes places, it's time to get rid of the false pretenses and begin to get real and begin to realize that there are things inside of me that need to change. There are things inside of me that aren't right and come to a place of being willing to admit that. Jesus met this guy, he was a, a rich young man, and, and the, the man comes up to Jesus and he says, listen, he says, what do I have to do to be good? What do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus tells him, you know, love your mother and father, do, love your neighbor, honor your mother and father, do all these things, love the Lord your God. And he gives him these commandments. And the young man looks at him and he goes, well, Jesus, I've done all this. Yeah, I've done all this. Is there anything, what else you got? And Jesus being Jesus, knowing all things, he goes, then go sell all your stuff and then come follow me. Then you'll be perfect. And see, I don't think Jesus was preaching against money. I hope you all get rich. That way you can get more to the church and we can do more things and change people's lives. But Jesus was saying, listen, man, you were trying to justify yourself. He was trying to make himself righteous. And we've got to realize that that, can't, that is not possible. That we can't make ourselves. There is no appearance that we can put on for people. There is no way that we can clean up the outside when the inside is still rotten. There's no way that, that, that this outward change or, or trying to do this or trying to do that to appear okay changes who we are at the core. See, it has to work the other way. We change at the core and then it manifests to the world. And God wants this to happen so badly because when we begin to look like Christ then we begin to look like Christ to the world. And they begin to see an accurate picture of who God is. They begin to see an accurate picture of the love of God. And we begin, we begin to move into a place of being real salt to the earth, of being people who, who God has changed and are capable of changing others. See, it just takes a core of people who've been changed at the core. That's really what it takes. So that when, when that begins to happen, we can really begin to see God doing incredible things. When we drop the pretenses. One of my favorite verses in all of this is, is 16. And Samuel finally just gets to a point where he says, stop. I and mean, you can almost, when you read it in the Bible, and you kind of put yourself, you can almost see the frustration in Samuel's face. when He just says, stop, Saul. And I believe what he was saying is God is tired of your excuses. God is tired. I've heard all the excuses that you make of why you can't do this, why you can't do that, why can't I live for it? Well, you don't know what they did. Yeah, I do. But we'll hang on to anger or we'll hang on to bitterness or we'll hang on to this, hang on to that and somehow figure out how to justify it. And I believe that God is saying the same thing to the churches today. Stop. Stop making excuses and start living the way that God's called us to live. Get in there with God. Press into God. Press into the Spirit of God and allow God to begin to change you. It's all about relation. You can't do it on your own. But how many times does the TV come between us and the Word of God? How many times does, does uh, hunting or fishing or, or whatever it might be get in the way of us truly living for God? How many times do we put our children and their spiritual life on the back shelf because we're just, not, just too tired to pick up the Bible and read it with them that night? So many things that we just make excuse after excuse of why we can't do it. And I believe that God is just saying, stop it. If you want to fulfill your potential, then stop. And begin to live with a mind and a heart bent to doing what he says, no matter what.
no matter what. We begin to do exactly what he says. You know, I talked to you a little bit about the dangerous position because I really feel that in my heart. I really feel like we are in such a danger. You know, we were at a place one time where things were happening quickly. You know, we had gone from my house to a pond house. We had gone from a pond house to um, this building. We had come in, and, man, we filled that up, and we knocked down the middle wall, and, boy, we got all these chairs in, and then people on the floor and all these things happening. And then all of a sudden, we look around, and, well, there's not really any walls to knock down not a whole lot of other physical change that we can cause. And all those things cause excitement. And man, it's like momentum and it's going. And I just believe now it's time to go and start knocking down some walls in the community. Because we're in a dangerous position of being able to settle right here. And this be all we ever become. I got a, a letter um, somebody found on the internet that a pastor had written from North Carolina. And, I, and if I get it, I'm gonna try to get another copy. If I get another copy of it, I may put it up for you to read sometime or on the wall. You can just go by and read it because it was so, so eerie to read this letter. The pastor was uh, the pastor of Connection Church in North Carolina. I can't remember what city, but he was a pastor of Connection Church in, in North Carolina. And he said, when we started out in this vision, we were going to reach the unchurched and to bind the unchurched and the church together. And we were going to make a difference. And then the rest of the letter was why things couldn't happen, why they didn't happen. And this letter was written to tell all the people who had been attending that church that after five years, they were hanging it up. That after five years, they realized that the vision wasn't happening. And Sean Fox actually brought me that letter. And, and I read it. And again, it was just chilling because I thought that could so easily be us. That could so easily be what happens here if we aren't willing to do something different, if we just settle and become exactly what every other church has become. Per capita, I heard this statistic this week, per capita, Bullitt County has more churches than any other county in the state of Georgia. And yet I know of three new churches that are starting. And I don't mean this to be offensive and I'm not putting down anybody because like I said, we could end up in the same boat. But I truly believe that the reason these new churches are starting is because the other churches, we're just not getting it done. Because there still remains about 60% of the people who are unchurched. Also heard that Bullitt County is one of the most wealthy counties in the state of Georgia and yet we've got people who don't have anything to eat and are living in their cars all over the place here, more than you would think. When we have to have backpack buddies to make sure that the children get to take food home so that they have enough to eat over the weekend. I mean, that's in Statesboro. But see, we just, we're able to ignore that. We're able to look past it. We're able just to pretend it doesn't exist. And yet I know God is calling. We cannot avoid that. God is calling us. We cannot avoid the, the command that Jesus gave us. And if we say what we believe, if we believe what we say we believe, then we too have to come and be accountable to that. I was talking with um, someone this week and they said, you know, they finally gotten their parents to read the book, The Purpose Driven Life. And he said, I was so excited because, and, you know, my, he said, my parents just kind of lived, um, you know, they were like, okay, going to church. Then. But there were things, he said, I just knew there were things in this Purpose Driven Life book that were gonna hit them. And he said, they'd get to the part on evangelism and, and he'd be like, yes, this is gonna be so good. And they go, oh man, we agree with all of that, but that's just not who we are. And then he said, you know, um, they got to a part maybe like on worship. And, oh, yeah, well, we totally agree with that. But uh, that's just not who we are. That's just not me. And I think about how many times do we do that? When opportunity presents itself or there's a challenge to go out and do something. And we go, ah, that's just not me. That's great for somebody else. But I'm telling you today, it is you. It is you. And God's calling you and he's calling me. To do different things. He's calling us to step out and begin to make a difference. He's calling us to lay down the excuses that we've held on to for far too long and begin to do what he's called us to do. I mean, are you tired? There's just something in me. I'm just tired of church as usual. Are you? I mean, anybody else that just feels that? That you're just tired of it. Just tired of doing the same things over and over again and seeing the same results. And I believe that God would like for us to come to a place where we get stirred in our spirit and begin to do something different. When 
my life really changed and I began to live for God. And I'm going to wrap it up with this. When I began to live for God, it was because a guy stood up and had the guts to just step all over my toes. And I mean, he got, there wasn't one of them that he didn't get. And I remember sitting there that day and I was listening to him and he was just going off about how this was wrong and that was wrong and how my, my, my drinking was wrong and how my dipping was wrong and how, you know, all this stuff was wrong that I was doing and, and he was just going on and on and everything he was saying, I was like, yep, 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 yep. And I started getting angry and I started getting mad and I felt this rage and I was in between getting up and going and trying to tackle this guy and beat the snot out of him or getting up and leaving. And just as I'm sitting there and I know my face had to be red and I'm just steaming, God just speaks so clearly to me and it was the same thing as in verse 16 and I just hear it in my heart and he said, shut up, shut up and listen to what he's saying. And as I began to remove myself from it, I began to realize that if this bothers me, then all I have to do is change. If it makes me uncomfortable to hear that there's things in my life that I'm not doing right, then the best thing to do is just to stand up and change. It's just to turn away from it. It's to begin to live a different way and quit rationalizing why it's okay to do the things that I was doing. And so we all have to deal with that. We've all got to come to a place and decide, am I just going to do what's always been done? Am I just going to continue to rationalize and make excuses? Or am I going to come to a place where I man up? One of my favorite sayings, put on my big boy pants. Ladies, I know you don't want to like, call them big girl pants, so you can use whatever term you want to use. But to literally step into a place of responsibility where I quit shunning the things that God has already told me to do and I begin doing them and living a life that's worthy of the sacrifice of Christ. See, I just know that, that Jesus wasn't comfortable when he had two nails in his arms and one stuck through his feet and yet somehow we rationalize our comfort and always being in a place where it feels good and yet that place of feeling good it's not always what's best. Amen. Amen. So that we come in and we come to this, this place. We come in and every one of us, every one of us, listen, we're all in this together. We're all in a place where we've done this. And yet today God calls us, God calls us to, to recognize it and to deal with it and move on. Let's pray.